listening to CS Book Club, and we're reading Introduction to Graph Theory by Richard Trudeau. I'm Brian Cobb, and with me is Amy Unger. Hey, everyone. Clint Shryock. Hello. And Justin Campbell. Hey. So today we're going to talk about talking about Chapter One, uh, which introduces the book. And pure mathematics. Yeah, and it's I don't know maybe a good opportunity to talk about why we're reading the book about graph theory. Uh, what brought us to this point in our lives. Uh, Justin, why don't you start? Sure. Uh, so I currently work for uh, a company that makes a open source tool that uses the word graphs a lot to uh, describe its functionality. And Clint also works in this tool. So uh, I've just heard a lot of people that are, you know, have computer science backgrounds talk about graphs and graph theory, and I wanted to get a better understanding from it uh, from an academic perspective. And where do you you and Clint work? Uh, company's called HashiCorp. We make a tool called Terraform, which is used to create and manage infrastructure. Nice. But Clint, Clint could probably speak a little bit more about that. Uh, yeah. So um, I work with Justin, and I actually work on this tool um, called Terraform, but I don't work on the core part of it that uses graphs, uh, specifically directed acyclic graphs. Uh, so I, I work on the peripherals, and, uh, and we, we, we on the team make jokes about uh, graph whisperers and stuff, and it is an aspiration of mine to know more about this cool thing called graph theory and, and its application with computers. Um, and, and it's been like that for a while. Actually, uh, a long time ago, I read an interesting thing about um, graph theory used at Facebook, and, and the whole. that's when I first learned about the concept, and this is my first real attempt to actually dive into and learn more about it. I just got to say, whenever you guys talk about terraforming, I got this great image of uh, the Star Trek, latest Star Trek movies, and you guys sending a missile off into some planet, (laughs) and poof, magical changes. Like a Gaia bomb? Yeah, except for, like, servers, I guess. That's exactly how it is. (laughs) Oh, man, they got to get some shots of that for your marketing and put it on the website. The reason why we're cooler, though, is that we can do that and, like, create these worlds, and then we can blow them up, and then just do it again, and then there's, like, no real consequences. Yeah, I mean, immutable worlds, right? Like, that's that's the latest thing in terraforming. Graph theory, no consequences. <laughs> well, consequences in the correct order. So how about you, Amy? So I kind of fall into possibly the category of the mathematically traumatized that the author talks about in the preface. And I wouldn't say that I am particularly terribly traumatized from my my experiences in math classes. But at a certain point in high school, I just stopped feeling like it was speaking to me. Um, To a certain degree, that's because I got into more advanced classes faster than you know, my emotional maturity, keep up with how fast I was going through math until you get to a certain point and you're like, this is not speaking to all the like clicks and the the shoe buying and the weirdness that is going on around me as a 14 year old. And so I definitely just gave up on math and I switched to history. Um, and now I'm kind of back into the world of, of you know, working in, in logic uh, as a programmer, um, I work at uh, Heroku doing some pretty 
uh, straightforward things with, with Ruby, nothing amazing with graphs. We're not terraforming worlds. At least I'm not terraforming worlds. Um, but I write a few if statements in my day. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's been fun to kind of have a little bit more of that emotional maturity where, you know, you don't necessarily need math to speak to whatever it is you're going through emotionally as a teenager and to come at it from a more mature point of view of, hey, this is really interesting and cool and I want to learn more. Excellent. Uh, speaking for myself, I studied math in college. I have a, I have a degree in mathematics um, and I have no real applications for this at work. Uh, but I didn't really do anything with graph theory in my undergrad career. Just touched on it really briefly in a class on combinatorics. So when Justin was like, "Hey, we're reading graph theory. Do you wanna, do you wanna join in?" I was like, "Of course," because graph theory always seemed really cool and um, really tangible, uh, which is which can be unusual in a in a math class. It can be difficult to like visualize what's going on. Um, so that's what led me to want to read this. And yeah, I don't know. What do you all think about the uh, the author's uh, characterization of math as as almost like a like pure math as almost like a game that it's discovered and not really created. Um, I I don't know. Does he say that? That's kind of like a deeper philosophical argument. Does get I think. into that at some point. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of picked up on that. I, I feel like he really romantic or he. I assume it's a he. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I feel like he really romanticized the idea of, of math. And math is this thing that's there whether we understand it or not and whether we've discovered it or not, um, which I, 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 I thought that was interesting. And, I, and I, uh, I enjoyed his enthusiasm and his like just love for what was going on here. Um, at, at some point, I got kind of tired of it because I felt like he kept reiterating how pure and awesome math was. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, initially, I did really appreciate the fact, like how passionate he was about like pure mathematics. I will say though, like my mind gravitates towards the more applied mathematics. Like I, I want to know how I can use this knowledge, and I feel like uh, he really talks about how like it doesn't matter if it has to be used. It's just like logic. It's just pure. It's just this awesome thing and i was like that's that's great but i need i need to learn about graphs mm-hmm. um which is which is you know small-minded of me i suppose but uh I, I i see what justin was picking up on though yeah with the the idea that math is something that is discovered um and it's it's just there i really did appreciate towards the end of the chapter uh his recognition and acknowledgement that the logic that we're going to talk about is really influenced by Western concepts of rationality. And I think we see this continuing into the the next chapters. Sometimes he'll, he'll point out places where because mathematics has been so defined by Western culture, there's been kind of a feedback loop, right? Some of the choices that mathematicians have made in terms of what axioms they, what sorts of things they are not willing to question, those sorts of things are influenced heavily by our culture and and what we want to define as how the world works, how we perceive the world. So yeah, definitely there is a lot of the, you know, we're, we're off on a journey to discover 
these uh, truths, but at least there is that acknowledgement that it starts from a place where we are making choices and there's not always uh, necessarily the same sorts of conclusions that come to every human being across every culture. Because you might start with different axioms. Yeah, exactly. I think we get onto that a little bit later, but, um, you know, an, an example of that that he highlights, uh, I think, in in chapter two would be just the idea that you can't have an in-between state, that something is either true or false and there's nothing in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that would be kind of an example of something where Western philosophy is very clearly, it it's not going to question that if something goes against that concept, if something suggests that there is a maybe it's true kind of thing that that causes all sorts of nasty uh, nasty consequences and therefore is considered not a possible world. And that's a choice. Brian, I have a uh, question for you being a math major. Mm-hmm. I have a math minor um, mm-hmm. by coincidence almost because uh, I was like three credits away with my computer science degree. Mm-hmm. So it's common just to get the minor. Um, he makes reference to this book called The Elements, mm, yeah. uh, which I had never heard of. And and the reference is that this is the most successful textbook ever written. And and I'm not the most well-versed person in the world. So I was curious, in your history, have you ever heard of this book? I have. Um, and I know that there are like certain univers or certain colleges and universities that will teach out of the elements the idea being that like you should read the original texts of your field uh but we never we never did that um that was something that i was it's like on my theoretical if i have infinite infinite time uh or become like fabulously wealthy bucket list and can just like pursue whatever as as like a classic that you feel like you have to read yeah i don't know like like try to gain a deeper appreciation for like the history of math. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of the elements starts off with some really basic things that you would probably consider first semester geometry, even like high school geometry, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not that advanced. Uh, I have a copy of it that is an illustrated one where they don't actually use any variables. They just have like colors and shapes and they try to minimize. So instead of the language that says, for a triangle with these properties, there's no word for that. It's just a, you see a red triangle. Uh, and it, it's a beautiful book, and it's also a, a lovely way of experiencing the fact that variables and, and concepts in mathematics don't need to be articulated they can be these unarticulatable things that have a truth in and of themselves and so you become less tied down to you know oh that is you know triangle x uh because technically no one has ever said it's triangle x it's just this shape that you are working with in your mind and and moving around and and seeing how it interacts with all the other shapes uh and you end up uh, you know, proving the Pythagorean theorem through that method. And it, it's a really cool experience. I am intrigued now. I imagine that it also helps to, um, I don't know, so much, so much of math seems to be like getting the right definition for something. 
And you can have an intuitive definition, but there's also like, and I don't know, in, in visual things like geometry and graph theory, there's almost like a trap where, you, where if you think about it too much, like sort of a like a quote unquote traditional point, you might actually miss like the legal definition or the mathematical definition of point, which has nothing to do with like drawing a dot on a page, but it's just a, a, like an element of something of some set. Um, and Amy, it sounds like maybe you get a better sense for that because of because like the triangle could be like a drawing of a fish or something like it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be expressed as like a, a shape it can just be like as long as it's consistent then it's true yeah i think there's definitely that aspect of it i think it's interesting to see how there is that really delicate balance that happens in mathematics where there is this emphasis on incredibly careful wording Mm-hmm. To to a point that often mathematicians seem more obsessed with an individual word than like than lawyers would be. They're paying far more attention <laughs> to it. Um, but on the other hand, the choice of what to look at, what to investigate, what to try to prove, often ends up being very intuitive. So there, it's an interesting balance. And this book in particular, it it kind of goes in both directions because as you say correctly Brian like it does help you disassociate from uh, this need to think about something traditionally right Uh, something could be anything right push your Mm -hmm. imagination but on the other hand because it is Euclidean geometry you and you're seeing these objects you know you're seeing it whenever there's a triangle you're seeing that triangle it really helps you develop something of an instinct for hey what what seems to make sense mm, does it mm-hmm. generally make sense that you know a shape two times something else should have this kind of property uh so it is it's funny to see that there there's tension in both ways that it could probably for some people who are very visual learners it might push them more towards the uh the emphasizing their instinct over pure logic Mm-hmm. But for some people, it might also help free them from some of the more wordsmithy type things and, and think about some of the the edge cases, perhaps. Right. So what else is on your mind when you think about like coming into a, a math textbook, maybe for the first time in quite a long time? Like, are you looking forward to doing all the exercises? I feel like exercises help me really solidify what I'm what I've been through. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I look forward to that for sure. Yeah, same. I didn't know what to expect coming into this. Um, I had never read a math book since whatever textbooks I was given in high school. Um, but I'm, in, I'm impressed at how well everything has been presented so far that I, it takes me a while to uh, understand certain things that the author author says or presents. Um, but usually if I read about it, read it a few times and think about it for maybe like, five ten minutes and i usually get it uh some actually one thing in the book i read and then it wasn't until two days later that i was like oh that's why what was it or or do you not want to spoil it Uh, i can talk about it when we get to it but it was a formula for finding the number of edges in a complete graph based on the number of vertices or or i should say like why why the the formula that he presented makes sense right Took me a while just to kind of stew on it. Also, I guess it's just kind of the essence of learning, but 
reading something uh, such as that formula and not knowing how to, or, or reading the list of examples of like what the formula could could be, and then not really knowing what what it is, and then after mm-hmm. the fact realizing that it's kind of obvious <laughs> or thinking that it's obvious. Yeah, I mean, has there been a time like recently at work where that something similar has happened? That for me, it doesn't seem to happen too often that I. You no, know, I, like I guess, use something, yeah. but don't really understand it. That's that would seem like a faux pas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess learning how to program that kind of happened all the time. But now that I know how to program in one or two languages, it happens much less often. Mm-hmm. But I did appreciate the the focus on pure mathematics versus applied mathematics. And although I had not been um, mathematically traumatized, as the preface said. Um, the author made a compelling case for as to why why pure mathematics is better. So I was like, okay. I did like, and I think Amy touched on this, uh, the um, the time they took to explain n- not to think too concretely about things, um, about like points and planes that they're just like kind of used for demonstration. Like you really shouldn't be so tied up to the actual literal definition. Some of these things aren't even defined. They reference. They say geometry is no more the study of written dots, of written dots than chess is an actual military exercise. That's a so good that, analogy. I mean, yeah, it was. I thought it was good. Um, I felt like they reiterated that point several times, but it, it was it was actually really good. I think in chapter one to, to like kind of hammer that home, like. We're going to talk about things. We're going to use words, but it's important to like not put too much weight in those words. Like point in a plane. Like these are examples. These are these are things that help you visualize it. But like you know, the what we're talking about actually is beyond that, and and it doesn't need to be so like concrete. And and I felt like that was that was a good thing to cover in chapter one to kind of like maybe it can help you kind of let go of some things and kind of just be open minded about some stuff. So the author reports that Archimedes did math in a bathtub. Have any of you ever done math in a bathtub? I had some of those realizations while I was in the shower, so maybe. Hmm, that's close. Shower thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing. Maybe not, maybe not literally the bathtub, but I, I tend to solve <laughs> a lot of. I tend to solve a lot of programming problems when I'm on a walk with my dog. Mm-hmm. Like just not having it right in front of me, but I can just like think about it and not having it. Not being at the computer and the other distractions that come with it, I can actually think about the core of a problem, which is sure. probably, you know, maybe he had a bathtub instead of a dog, or he was giving his dog a bath. I don't know. but um, A lot of options. Yeah, you know, I, I don't often get in the shower and think about pure mathematics, but I have thought about <laughs> problems that are mathematically related. Sure. So the final section in this chapter is some suggested reading. Um were you familiar with any of these books, or did you look into any of them at all? I do not recall. I do recall not looking into any of them. The title, A Mathematician's Apology, intrigued me. That's been on my Amazon wish list for years, and I just I haven't pulled the trigger yet. Um, I did, now that I remember this, I did look into the Organion. Is that how you pronounce that? Um because it sounds really cool and I had heard that name before and never actually looked into it. It was a, a book, I guess, by Aristotle. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, okay, Wikipedia tells me it's a collection of his six works on logic. 
Um, I did study logic for, I think, three semesters in college. I really liked logic. Logic mm. and history were, were really interesting to me. So um, the fact that this is a collection of logic um, from a very imp- pivotal person in logic, um, that did intrigue me. Uh, the rest, no, I, I did not look heavily into any of those books. In fact, the Organian is not even mentioned here in the suggested reading. Amy, you have a background in philosophy and history, don't you? I do. Uh, I think it was interesting to see the how quickly this list of suggested readings made me ignore all those. I'm sure they're wonderful. And think I really need to get farther in a book called Where Mathematics Comes From. And... So this is a book that talks about how the human mind and how it has evolved has led us to particular math to be able to support particular mathematical concepts. So like the concept of infinity, um, and so kind of an extension of how mathematics is influenced by culture. Uh, there is also a strong argument that mathematics is influenced by the human brain and its own limitations. And so if there were other beings, their mathematics would be much different. Uh, and it's always been an interesting thing to me. I grew up in a household with both my parents were uh, math PhDs. So there's very strong, uh, strong ideal that mathematics is discovered. And that always seemed so strange to me. So the... The fact that this person is recommending things that sound like a mathematician's apology, Fantasia of Mathematica, makes me think, well, first I need to get further along in where mathematics comes from. But then, yes, I need to to get to those two books and probably all the rest, too. It's interesting that you comment on like an alien species, their math would be different. Like, I, I thought math would be the same anywhere and that maybe there they would just have better or different comprehension of it. Yeah, it is a really interesting thing. It uh you know, it's a strong presumption with much of our space effort that we can communicate at least in part through some core concepts that are common across beings and mathematics is one of those. And it's possible, yes. Absolutely. But it's also possible that they have a very different concept of it and that certain axioms are more important to them, and that they've made different choices. Uh, at least that's my interpretation. I don't, uh, don't ascribe that to <laughs> any of the uh, authors of, of uh, the book I mentioned. But yeah, uh, but then again, of course, this is the perspective of someone who spent uh, their college and graduate years looking into cultural things, into how humans interact with each other to create this social world, uh, and spent very little time uh, actually learning mathematics, right? So uh, there's absolutely an argument there, and it's, it's mostly just my, my personal preference, I think, that a lot of the arguments about constructed thought ring more true to me than any idea of pure thought hmm. any closing words on chapter one pure mathematics is fun <laughs> yeah i say i will say i think i expect us all to be wonderful at settlers of Catan after this
Mm. Great, great point. Here, here. Oh no, that's what I need. Another game to be addicted to. Um, which is actually interesting. Uh, game theory is another thing that I've been wanting to know and read about, but have not actually done. I, I did find it interesting. This is actually a really small part. Uh, there's a, a line here. Graph theory is new. The bulk of it has been developed since 1890. Um, I was kind of torn on that. Part of me thought, wow, I thought it was much older. But then the other part of me was like, oh, I thought it was younger. And I don't know why I thought both things, because that obviously doesn't make any sense. But uh, I was surprised to kind of read that um, the core of it has been developed since then. So it's it's not even 100 years old. And when we talk about you know things mentioned earlier, the elements, that was thousands of years ago so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah i would assume that um as core to everything we know that all this is that it would be discovered much earlier yeah i think maybe part of why i thought it was a younger thing than 1890 was just um and this is this is a bias of mine uh, just that i didn't hear about it until you know after the first dot-com bubble probably because i just wasn't too attentive before then but then you know as things started to recover and 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 we started to uh hit web 2.0 type things where we started to get to like absurd scales and like facebook things and that's when i started to hear about graph theory again i I guess maybe only hearing about it when social networks got that big made me think that maybe it was like a new thing being applied to these to for research into how people interact and stuff so maybe Maybe that made me think that it was a younger, more recent thing. It seems to be somewhat common that like something will be uh, like a field will start, say graph theory, and like a mainstream application won't be found for a long, long time afterward. And in some cases, the like pioneers of the field deliberately went into it because they didn't want applications. They wanted to do something that like couldn't be used in harmful ways or uh they they just had some sort of fetish for like purity uh but one way or another usually some some application is found i guess that about does it for chapter one chapter two has it starts with a definition and ends with some exercises and we'll be talking more about graphs next time so thanks for listening